on the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, or the empty desert, in our hope, and in our waiting, we are never alone. God is Good morning, church. Welcome to Union Chapel. Once again, this is the Advent season, and we're so thrilled that you're here. Welcome. Um, if you've been here at Union Chapel for a while, you know that we take up one special offering per year, just one, and it's at Christmas. And the reason we do it at Christmas is because it's not your birthday, it's Jesus' birthday, and we want to honor him in a special way, and so we uh, select special outreach opportunities to bless our community and beyond with a special offering. This year we're going to designate three specific areas for support. One is a traditional one we've done for many years with Blood and Fire, our association partnership with Blood and Fire Ministries downtown, Bob and Stacy Ball. We will fund their Christmas store once again. This is a store where gifts are bought, purchased uh, at a discount with some uh, generous local vendors and then sold at the Christmas store to families that might not otherwise be able to afford Christmas for their families, pennies on the dollar. And so over 300 families every year experience Christmas that wouldn't otherwise have Christmas. And so that's a great blessing. And then the proceeds from the store then are reinvested again in orphanages in other parts of the world. Typically in the Caribbean, we find orphanages there and we fund those with the proceeds. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. I know you feel good about that. And so we'll continue to do that. The second area, as you know, uh, last year we began to distribute through one of our small groups that initiated there, children's Bibles. And they started a ministry called Light Their Path. And to date, we have distributed over 6,100 children's Bibles here and there. It's really an amazing ministry. And so we're so thankful for that. So we'll, we'll uh, designate some money that way. And then this year, the third category that we'll be supporting is a ministry called A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. Most of you are familiar, very aware, maybe personally acutely aware of the opioid and heroin crisis that we face in our community and beyond. And it's a very, very serious issue. And Brianna's Hope is a ministry designated to the support and recovery of people who are challenged with this particular level of addiction. And this video will summarize it better than I can, so check it out. Before the opioid epidemic was called an epidemic, small towns in the Midwest started to realize that there was a drug problem reaching into their communities. The breaking point for Jay County, Indiana happened in the summer of 2014, when a young woman named Brianna Batiste went missing. Brianna was a, a heroin user. Um, we knew this, the family had explained that, that she had suffered with addiction for some time. It can happen to any family, it doesn't matter. 
Um, there were some days we worked 24 hours a day, sometimes 48 hours. Uh, we, was, we was all up, actually physically up working this case. And her started just going to parties with friends. Is the way I understand it. While the search for Brianna was underway, many already assumed the worst. Others said it was bound to happen to a drug user like her. Some people were coming up and saying, well, I don't understand why you are, um, you're out looking for this person, she's a druggie. It's just, just another druggie. There's a history there, or why should I care? Almost exactly 10 years before, there was an incident where a two-year-old had wandered into a cornfield and got lost in the middle of the night. The community just rose up at like one to hunt for this toddler, this innocent child wandering through the cornfield, and found the boy. She'd wandered off in a different way. Officer Shannon Henry was in charge of the search for Brianna, an effort that came to a tragic end after nearly three months of searching. Brianna disappeared in June of 2014. Um, we found her uh, Labor Day, same year. She overdosed at some point, and someone dropped her body in the woods. We always hoped that maybe she was somewhere you know, and had been using a lot of drugs and would come back to us. Just a nightmare to think that she had laid out there all that time while we were searching for her. And she was there and no one found her. It was really hard. <laughs> no one was arrested in connection with Brianna's death. Her family still struggles with the unanswered questions. Someone knows and could tell us, and it's kind of torment you if you think about it, because we don't know what happened. I thought there'd be a big weight lifted off my shoulders, and it didn't feel like that. I made up my mind that we was probably going to find her deceased when we did find her, but the weight wasn't lifted off my shoulders. It, it was, it was. How do we, how do we address this now? This tragedy inspired one man to do something. After presiding over Brianna's funeral, Pastor Randy Davis established Brianna's Hope in Red Key, a self-help group building a support network for the area, connecting people with health professionals, even if that meant driving them down to Indianapolis for treatment. He was inspired by a writing found in Brianna's personal belongings. We found it during the time she was missing. Please help me to do the right thing and to show people that I am not a bad person, inside or out. And help make me, Lord, to get through this disappointment again and show I make mistakes, but who doesn't? I don't do it to do wrong. I do it because I feel I have no other choice. I want a better life, Lord. I do. It was obvious after her disappearance and her death that uh, this community, this area needed help. Most of the folks that we deal with either have inadequate insurance for the kind of help they're seeking or no insurance. Everybody was wanting something, but nobody knew what to do. So I figured even a bad start's better than no start. Do not let a mistake define who you are. 
We've been able to help over 400 folks get into some sort of treatment, rehab, different forms and different ways, and we're just simply seeing a change. Isn't that great? Just really good. Perhaps you saw a friendly face there. These are friends of ours and family members of parishioners, and all of us have some identification with this unique challenge in our community. And so uh, we see Brianna's Hope as a great, a great uh, focal point for our offering this year. Brianna's Hope, as it just mentioned in the video, has reached over 400 people. That number is up to 630-plus people who have been aided in some way by the ministry of Brianna's Hope. 32 chapters have been started, support groups started around the area and now into the state of Ohio as well. So it is growing, it's getting traction, and as you know, the need is great. And so I know you'll feel good about the financial support that we can lend toward Brianna's Hope. We'll receive the Christmas offering on Christmas weekend in two weeks, and then again we'll receive the offering on Christmas Eve in those services as well. So thank you for preparing for that. And, and we'll collect the offering at that time and see what God might do. All right, today we want to continue with the series in Advent. Advent, of course, is this time when we anticipate, we have an expectation that God is coming. Our theme verse for this series is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 23. It simply says, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which translated means God is with us. God is with us. Last week we considered God with us in the valleys of life, and today I want to talk about God with us in the wilderness. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to our particular text this morning, 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll read the first nine verses there, 1 Kings 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn, otherwise we'll project the words. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. Thank you as you're able for doing that. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. There it is. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, spent the night. And may God enlighten and inspire us today through his word. Thank you so much. Last week, we talked about God with us in the valleys. We've all been in a valley. We learned this uh, simple truth that we often enjoy God on the mountaintops. We really do. It's a lot easier to have faith and to be happy when life is good on the mountaintop. But we experience God more intimately when we're in the valley. 
We enjoy him more perhaps on the mountaintop, but we experience him more intimately in the valley. So today I want to use this other metaphor, life in the wilderness. And let me give you this definition. I'll put it on the screen for you. The wilderness is different from the valley because time in the wilderness usually lasts a lot longer. So the wilderness is a period of time in our lives that's barren, that's dry, that's desolate, that's lonely, that's kind of hungry. And one of the images we find in the Bible is where people are wandering in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, people are desperate to get out, to get on through, to pass, pass on through the wilderness, to get over this season of life. Maybe it uh, manifests itself in a job that you're in and you're, you, you feel like you're just wandering and it's going nowhere. And maybe you should get further training to qualify yourself for a different job. Or perhaps, perhaps you're renting a house and you're considering whether you should buy a house. You don't have any equity building and so maybe buying would be better than renting. And so you're wondering in this, this period of indecision and uncertainty. Maybe you're dating some guy and he's not as decisive as you'd like him to be. And you're hoping that he'll take it to another level in your relationship. Um, but he's, he's a little bit reluctant. Uh, you, you have career ideals, and he doesn't seem to be that ambitious. You know, he plays a lot of video games and stuff like that. <laughs> and you wonder what to do. So we often, we often feel alone. We often feel lost, disoriented. Nobody really understands. No one else is really experiencing life the way I am right now. And what's so interesting when you look at the Bible and the references there to people in the wilderness, these wilderness experiences often follow a mountaintop experience. Jesus, for example, was baptized by John in the Jordan, and, a, and, and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, symbolized by a dove, rested on him. This voice from heaven, God Almighty, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, listen to him. And this mountaintop experience where Jesus hears from his father what all of us need to hear from our fathers or father figures in our lives, that, that you have value, that the father's proud of you, and find you special and precious. These are important moments. And Jesus is on this mountaintop. And the next verse says immediately Jesus was driven into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he's tempted. And so here's this wilderness just immediately following a mountaintop experience. And some of you maybe have been there. Life was good. Relationships were good. Your friendships were good. You thought, I have the best set of friends in the world. But then you realize... You find out one of your friends hasn't been honest to you like you thought they were. Or maybe you think your marriage is great and strong and vital and you, then you find out your spouse has not been faithful to you. These things happen, immediately happen. Sometimes you feel like you've gotten traction in your finances and you finally got kind of on top of it and then something happens and it collapses back down several notches. And these are the kinds of experiences that we do. We feel alone. We feel spiritually dry. We feel desperate in the wilderness, we feel like we're wondering. Now, today's sermon just has one big thought. And if you've looked at the outline, you can see there's only one point. One big thought, one point. A one-point sermon, just so you know, is a holiday sermon. This is a classic definition of a holiday sermon. One point. Now, here's the point. So if you don't get anything else, at least get the point. And here it is. It's the only time you have to fill in a blank. You don't even have to pay attention from now on. Just go through your shopping list, whatever. But get the point if you can. Here it is. Your deepest need becomes a gift 
when it drives you to depend on God. Your greatest need becomes a gift when it drives you to, be, to depend on God. Let me give you a little background now from our text in 1 Kings. This is the story of the prophet Elijah. Now, if I would take a survey at the beginning of the service today and say, who are your favorite prophets from the Old Testament? Elijah would be one of the first names mentioned. Because Elijah was a, was a big-time, very powerful, very influential prophet of God. God used Elijah in very significant ways. Mir- miracles happen in the life of Elijah. So this is, this is, a, this is a serious figure in in the work of God in history, the prophet Elijah. And he's literally been on a mountaintop. He, he, he had gone to Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel was this, was this confrontation, you remember, between the prophets of Baal, these false prophets, and the true prophet Elijah. And there was a king at the time, his name was Ahab. And he was an evil, he was an evil dude. He's a bad, bad dude. And he was married to a woman who was even worse. Her name was Jezebel. How many of you ever thought about naming your daughter your, uh, Jezebel? Anyone? It doesn't occur to anyone to try it. Jezebel was this nasty, evil, undoubtedly demonized human being who needed control and needed to manipulate and, and de- was desperate to destroy the prophet of God. And so here she is with her husband Ahab, and they threaten, Ahab, they threaten Elijah's life. Elijah calls down fire on Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal are destroyed. And, and Jezebel says, I'm gonna, now I'm going to kill you. And Elijah becomes afraid, and he starts running. This is Elijah, the prophet. This is, a, this, is a, this is an important dude who's seen the power and presence and provision, miraculous work of God in and through his life for decades and now one woman says I'm going to get you and he runs starts running for his life we could spend a whole series just talking about all of that but we'll, we'll save that for later Elijah just doesn't run around the block Elijah runs for a hundred miles a hundred miles he, he didn't call Uber there's no Uber He's not getting a lift by anybody. He takes off running. He's running like Forrest Gump. See Forrest Gump running across America. This is, he's 100 miles running. Uh, as Forrest would say, I was running. And, and Elijah is running. Thank you. Thank you so much. It, it's, it's, you know, you, you do what you can. So he, he feels alone. He feels desperate. He feels scared. He's hurting. And yet this is the guy, this is the guy who's been through a lot. And maybe you find yourself in the wilderness today. Maybe the circumstances of your life are such that you identify with this. For you, it may not be something as major as the king and queen after you to try to kill you. But you find yourself at the same place Elijah was. When he just paused and he said, look, I've had enough. I mean, I'm done. I can't go on. I can't handle any more of this trouble. And he was at the end of himself. He's in the wilderness, and he's afraid, and he's hurting. For you, maybe, it, maybe it's uh, those kids you're trying to raise, or maybe that one teenager who's just out of control, 
It's so painful, so frustrating, so difficult. Maybe it's your work situation. I just, I'm not sure I can go there one more day. And you feel the stress and the exhaustion created by that. Maybe it's a financial challenge. You know, you finally feel like you get on top of it and then the car breaks. Or you spring a leak at the house and more bills. Or your two-year-old, you know, just crams a tic-tac up their nose. And the next thing you know, you're in the emergency room <laughs> resolving that. And you feel it. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a little thing, but just a simple little thing. Maybe you say to yourself, I want to prepare a beautiful meal for my family. So you spend all day, you spend hours preparing this meal. Your husband comes home and the kids gather. You got everybody at the table and it's the holidays and you, and you just want to have a nice moment together. And they eat your carefully prepared meal in exactly 38 seconds. And then they all jump up and run from the table, leaving the mess for you to clean up. Maybe that's all it takes. Just a little thing like that. And you're at the end of it. Well, this is what happened. This is what happened with Elijah. And he ran out of himself. And so, and so he, he finds himself in the wilderness. Dr. Henry Cloud is a notable Christian psychologist. And Dr. Cloud had a gathering of Christian leaders recently. And he asked them what the greatest challenge in their life was at this time. And there was an interesting response. All of them essentially had the same report to make, which was they all felt stressed and exhausted. That leadership in today's culture, being a Christian in today's culture, is stressful, both stressful and exhausting. And so they all complain of just being tired. And Dr. Cloud, being a perceptive person, he said, well, maybe you're misdiagnosing your problem. Because if fatigue is your only problem, then taking a nap might resolve it. Just getting a little extra rest might solve it. But that's not going to happen. And probably the root of the problem runs deeper than that. And I think we can resonate with this. That in today's culture, because of the stress points and because of the exhaustion that it brings and because of the constant pressure of being in our lives and in our world, because life is hard. And it's pressurized, it's difficult, and it's complicated. And it wears us out, and it wears us down. Dr. Cloud then, I think, with great wisdom, said what you may need is more than a nap. Maybe what you need is spiritual replenishment. Because you're spiritually depleted. You just tapped out of the resource that is most important in your life. The presence of God. The strength and favor of God. The power of God, the presence of God's spirit in your life. And so what you need is an encounter with a very real and very holy God whose presence can rejuvenate your life. Amen. David said in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Can you feel that? I want you to feel it. Feel the restoration that God offers. So what does God do with Elijah? I, I, love, I love what God didn't do with Elijah when he finds him in this difficult wilderness. He doesn't say, okay, here are 10 verses, memorize these verses. Or here's a sermon. Listen to this sermon. This, this will encourage you. Or what about your faith? If you had a little more faith, then you'd be a lot better off. 
And none of that happens. None of this happens. Look at 1 Kings 19, 5 and 6. Look on the screen. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. Now think about this. An angel has baked him some bread over an open fire. It's gluten-free, so don't panic. It's all, it's all perfectly healthy. It's good. And Elijah receives this, this nourishment. It's really, really great. And, and then he lies back down. And he sleeps some more. What is God saying? Let me put this on the screen. I don't want you to miss it. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest in the presence of God. Feel that. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just rest in God's presence. Verse 7 says that the angel of the Lord came back a second time. Remember? Came back a second time. Hey, wake up and eat. Take nourishment. And here's what we learn from this. Sometimes God realizes we don't always get it the first time. Can I get a witness? We don't always pick up on it the first time. So God comes back a second time because God knows what we need. God knows what we need is more of him. And so he keeps coming back. Some of us are really dull. We don't get it the third time or the fourth time. So God comes back the fifth time and reminds us. He's always chasing us. He's always reminding us of our need for him. I don't know where you are today, but someone needs to hear this. Somebody here needs to hear this. Yeah. If you don't get it today, then he'll come back. He'll, he'll, he'll keep pursuing you because he knows your need for him. So then he goes into this cave, and he spends a night there, goes on to Horeb, the mountain of God. And in this cave, God comes to him. And he, and he comes to him in a way that we perhaps can identify. I can identify with this. God says to him, what are you doing? Why are you here? What are you doing? I mean, you call down fire. Think, you think about this guy. He's the guy who calls down fire on Mount Carmel. He's the guy who, because of the sin of the king and his wife, the sin of the nation, uh, pronounced God's judgment on the nation, said, thus saith the Lord, it's not going to rain for the next three years. And it didn't rain. And King Ahab, for those years, were chasing him. And it's, if I find him, I'm going to kill him. And so he gets out in the wilderness, and he's living by this brook, and a raven comes every day and carries food. It's a, it's a wild story. So God is supernaturally providing for this prophet. And he comes upon a, on a boy who's died. His mother's beside herself, and God uses the prophet Elijah to resuscitate this boy, raise him from the dead. It's amazing. And then... At the end of those three years, Elijah prays again, God, I pray that you'll let it rain again. And he sees a cloud on the horizon the size of a man's hand. Remember this? The size of a man's fist. And the cloud gets bigger and bigger, and then rain comes forth. This is the guy who calls down fire. Mount Carmel, this was, this was, this was a pile of wood. This was animal sacrifices on the wood. This was a trench dug around the sacrifice and then filled up with water and water drenching the wood and the sacrifice. And then Elijah calls down fire from God and everything just gets consumed. This is, this is a guy who has known the power of God, the presence of God, the provision of God in miraculous ways. This is Elijah the prophet. And he's run for his life. He's in this cave. God finally wakes him up and says, what are you doing? 
Why are you running? Why are you running from people? Why are you running from me? What are you doing? It's a very good question, isn't it? Oh, have you ever had this moment when God taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, sweetheart, what, what's, that, what, what's this behavior about? Why are, you, why are you so mopey? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so down? Why are you so discouraged? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when this happens to me, I actually do what Elijah did. Elijah got into the whiny voice. You ever tried this? Yeah, but God, you don't, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through. This is horrible. Look at, look at uh, chapter, chapter 19, verse 10 of our text. He replied, I've been very jealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. It's the whiny voice. I've always felt prayer is more effective in the whiny voice. <laughs> Lord, please, please, Lord. It just, it's therapeutic somehow. God's response, God's response is, what are you doing? Why are you running? Why are you afraid? So he's in the wilderness. He's hurting. His need is so great he can't see him beyond his own need. You've been there, haven't you? Maybe you're there right now. You, just, you can't even see past the next five minutes. It's just too much. And that's why I hope you'll understand that your deepest need, this is the point again, can become a gift when it drives you to depend on God. That, that, that wilderness experience that you have is actually a good thing if it moves you toward God. So this is what happens. Verses 11 and 12, again from our text, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, how many of you know that's a good news? That's, that's really good. I love that. Now go out there and stand on that mountain. God, God is about to pass by. If you knew Jesus was gonna pass by, for example, if, if the announcement went out from the angel of God to everybody who participates at Union Chapel, all over our community, all over our area, and said, Sunday morning this week at 10 o'clock, the Lord's going to pass by in that service. Well, you couldn't get in here. Could you? Well, you couldn't get in. It would just be over, over because who doesn't want that? And so the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. What is going on here? And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now, isn't this curious? There, there is an earthquake, but that's not God. There's wind, wind that cracks rocks, but that's not God. And there's fire. Surely that must be it. You know, we remember fire, the burning bush before Moses, the bush that was burning but not consumed, and this was the presence of That must be it. That must be God. Finally, God has showed up in my lonely, desperate, hurting, 
private world of wilderness. God's finally in fire. God wasn't in the fire. So, so here's what we have. Think, of, think about it. Earth, wind, and fire. That's what God did. That's for those of you who came of age in the 70s. And if you didn't, so if you didn't get the joke, ask someone older. They'll tell you on the way out what it means. So God's not in the earth, wind, or fire. God's in the gentle whisper. Now think about that. God was not in the remarkable. God was in the ordinary whisper. Why is it that when life is so difficult, why is it, I'm asking, that God's voice is so quiet? Have you ever wondered? You ever thought about this? Why is his voice so still and so small? It seems that when we're most isolated and most alone and most desperate and in the wilderness and feel like giving up, it seems like in a moment like that, God ought to yell at us. He ought to shout, hey, I'm here. Wake up. But that's not his style. That's not what he does. Why would God whisper when we need to know his voice most acutely? I have the answer for that. The reason God whispers when we're in the wilderness is because he's close. He's close. And I want you to think about that. Look at this statement on the screen. The devil shouts his lies. Never going to make it. You're going to die. You're, you're, not, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. This isn't the right relationship for you. What a mess. What a, what a, what a zero you are. What a failure you are. The devil accuses the brethren. That's his brain-damaged MO. That's what he does. The devil shouts his lies, but God whispers his truth. Uh huh. God doesn't shout to get your attention. He whispers to draw you close. Because as it turns out, he loves you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And as you draw near to him, he draws near to you. Doesn't need to shout. Where do small children go when they're really afraid? When there's a storm outside, little, little tiny ones, what do they do? They run to their parents, don't they? Run and jump in their bed. Listen to me, you don't have to jump in God's bed. He's already close. He's right there beside you. And if your heart is hurting right now, and you're a person who may describe yourself as brokenhearted. My heart is broken in the wilderness. Listen to what the Lord says. Look at it, Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that a great promise? Again, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even the valley of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a place before me in the presence of my enemies. Think about that. Even if the king... Jezebel out to kill you. Even, even this is life and death. Even then, my cup runs over. He anoints my head with oil. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
that a great promise? Let me give you one more verse, Psalm 139. Look at it with me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Let me ask you, how close do you have to be? How, how close does God have to be to hold you with his right hand? Close. Close. 28 years ago, my wife Beth was diagnosed with, with cancer, and so we did surgery and chemotherapy and radiation. And then two and a half years ago, she was diagnosed with the, another cancer. We went through all of that again. We're going, what? What, God? Why? Why again? So we found ourselves in this valley. We found ourselves in this wilderness. We're just wondering there, wondering what is going on. And God, why don't you, why don't you let the thunder rumble just to know that you're there? No, instead he chooses the whisper, the quiet, the quiet voice, because he's close. And he reminds us. And in the midst of it, we learn that God never wastes our pain. He never wastes our suffering. He never wastes our grief. He's always using it to make us better people. And we, we find opportunity in the wilderness. Maybe you have too. The deepest need can actually become a gift when it drives you to depend on God. And so we've discovered that the opportunity in the wilderness for us has been to build our marriage. We are, our marriage is stronger today than it's ever been. We've been married 41 years. I love my wife more today than the day I married her because she's lovable. She loves me more because her hearing and her sight is uh, diminished. <laughs> but either way, it works out. We're more in love. And not only just opportunity to grow in our relationships and in our character, but to grow in the influence of our lives. And as it turns out now for nearly 30 years, there, there hasn't been a week go, go by that Beth or myself haven't ministered to someone in a cancer journey. We say, well, we understand that. We can talk to you about that. Let us encourage you in that context. So God never wastes any of this. He's always redeeming it. He's always at work. And the most important thing to remember is even if it feels isolated and lonely and desperate in the wilderness, that God is with us. He's so close that he whispers to us. And if we'll draw near to him, he draws near to us. And how is all this possible? It's possible because a virgin will be with child. And she will give birth to a son. And his name will be called Emmanuel, which translated means God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. He's with us. No matter what, no matter the place, no matter the story, no matter the journey, no matter the valley, no matter the wilderness, God is with us. And he's close. Amen? Let's pause and pray. Father, we ask that in your presence you would minister your grace to us today, your peace, your goodness, your hope. If you're in the room this morning, you say, Pastor Greg, I'm in the wilderness right now, 
and I want, I want to know that God is close to me. Just raise your hand. Just raise it up. This is just, an, just to remind yourself, remind God, God, look, I need your closeness today. So many, so many. There may be others of you who would say, I may not be in a wilderness right now, but no matter where I am, I want to be even more aware of the still, small, quiet voice of my God. So, Father, today I pray for those who are in the wilderness, and I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would reveal yourself in that still, small voice. Show us that you're with us, that you care, that your grace is enough, that you would be our rock when the world is unstable. You would be our strength when we are weak. You would be our comfort when we are hurting. God, may your presence be enough. Now remember, friend, when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. You'll find him, the scripture says, when you seek him with all of your heart. So if you'll be quiet in this season and you'll listen, you'll hear the gentle whisper of a good God who is always with you and is always close. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your faithfulness. We receive your presence now. In Jesus' wonderful name, Emmanuel, God is with us. In your name we ask, amen.